Lord Jesus, you said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? Our Father, we come to you because we need to come to you. Sometimes when we read in the scriptures that you know what we need before we ask, we wonder, well, then why should we ask? But prayer is not really for um, you, it is for us. Prayer... uh, Prayer puts things right because prayer puts us on our knees. We are reminded when we pray that we are needy. We are reminded when we pray that we are not the creator, we are the creatures. We are mindful when we pray, and oftentimes we are driven to pray when our life falls apart. When everything's going well, when when the job's going well and the money's good and The investments are working. It's easy to forget to pray. But the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, and sometimes, Lord, you take away and you put us in positions where suddenly we are without the things that we have enjoyed. And then we become mindful of how desperately we really need you in our lives. We do what we can do to um, to change our situations, we, we do what we can do to be faithful and to be responsible. But uh, uh, life, life is ultimately out of our control. It's in your control. We thank you, Lord, that we can come to you and you bid us to come to you and, and, and to tell you what's on our hearts. And we've all had the experience of praying and asking and seeking and knocking, and we've asked you to do something for us, and you haven't done it. And at times it baffles us and we are curious and sometimes we're frustrated and sometimes we're just flat out angry. We don't understand why you have not answered our prayer. But you are our father and you are a wise father and just as when we were children, just as when we were kids, our fathers did not respond to every request because it wouldn't have been good for us. You know what's good for us, you know what we need, you know where we are, you know where we need to grow, you know where we need to create uh, muscle, you know, Lord, how it is that we become mature. And oftentimes something we think is good, you withhold. Now maybe there's a guy here tonight that's struggling with that. He thinks you've not been fair with him. He thinks you've not been straight with him. I pray that you would straighten out his thinking. And let him know that you are a good father, that you are a wise father, that you know exactly what's going on in his life. You know when he needs it. You know how it needs to come. But at the same time, Lord, you're not 
interested in being just a sugar daddy. You're interested in developing us as spiritual leaders and spiritual men. So help us to submit to the process. Help us to bow and get under the mercy. Help us, Lord, to pray as Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. We can trust you. We can count on you. But you don't do it the way we think you ought to do it most times. So help us to relax, help us to be still, help us to give up control. But we would say this to you, Lord. Many of us would say in this room, I am in distress, answer me quickly. We'll trust you, Lord, to give us what we need when we need it. We trust you with our lives, we trust you with our timing. We pray for the guys that are here that have got broken hearts, who are crushed in spirit. There's been some kind of calamity. There's been some kind of catastrophe. There's been some kind of horrific news that has set them back on their heels. Those are brutal times in life, and we've all had them. Be close to them. Reassure them that you know where they are and that you're with them and that you're going to guide them and lead them and, and you're going to make a way for them. And you're going to make sense out of what has occurred at the right time. Make this time profitable for us tonight, we pray. We need to hear from you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are parked in John 14. We're actually double parked in John 14. It's taking us a while to work our way, our way through the six verses in John 14, 1 through 6, where Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. That's how he kicks it off. I, I want to give you a, a, a premise as we start tonight, and the premise is very simple. The premise is this. Now remember, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be agitated. The premise is this. Troubled hearts need true perspective. When you're troubled, when you're agitated about something that is occurring in your life or the circumstances of your life, whatever it is that you're facing that is disrupting um, the joy of your life and the peace of your life, you're kind of fomenting inside. When that happens to us, what is it that we need? What, what, what is it that, that will calm us and what is it that will settle us down? Uh, ultimately, what you need is, when you've got a troubled heart and troubled circumstances, what you need is you need perspective. Not a twisted perspective, you need a true perspective. I was thinking of this the other day. Um, this was probably 15 years ago. It was in the summer. My kids were 15, no, younger than that. Yeah, 15, 14, somewhere in there, 12, 10. 
We'd been out, got some dinner at a barbecue place, summer, you know, daylight savings time. We come back to the house, I don't know, 8 o'clock. And, uh, you know, we get back to the house, and I start to go upstairs. And all of a sudden, one of the kids says, Dad, Dad, Dad. I said, what? He said, get down here, get down here, Dad, quick. And I get down, and they're looking out the back door of the patio, looking through the glass. And I said, what's going on? And, the, and all the kids, and Mary comes around, and I said, what is it? I look out there, and, and there's this, I mean, there is this huge snake coiled. Uh, I, 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 couldn't believe, I couldn't believe the size of this sucker. And I'm looking, I said, where did that come from? And they said, Dad, what are you going to do? And then Sugar's out there, and we have this little pup named Sugar who was on the side of the house, and sometimes the gate was open, sometimes it's closed, and I thought, oh, my gosh, if she gets out there, she's going to get killed. And I said, Mary, get a shovel and go out there. Hey, I believe in equal rights, don't you? <laughs> well, it says in the Bible I'm supposed to go out there. So I, I, I went and I said, all right, just stay here. Don't you? Let me go get a shovel. And I get a shovel, and, and so I open that back door, and I'm saying, I don't know, 15 feet, 20 feet, I can't remember, but that snake is out of ways. And I open that door, and the kids, they sit right here. And man, they're pressed right up in glass of gas watching this thing. And I took about three steps and realized it was a garden hose. It was a garden hose. And as I remember, it, it was two hoses together that had got coiled. I, I don't know if we had a guy working there or whatever, but the way, when you saw it from the kitchen, the way the light hit it, it was the all-time great optical illusion. I mean, I would have sworn that was a snake. But I took three steps and it was a garden hose. When I walked out the door, I will admit to you, my heart was somewhat troubled. <laughs> but then, three steps past the door, suddenly I thought, I'm going to milk this for all it's worth. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> I took about three steps, and I, start, I said, that is a chumpin' hose. I couldn't believe it. And I turned to them, and I went like this. And then I walked up to that thing, and I walked up with that shovel, and I hit that sucker like that, and then I dove on it. <laughs> and I grabbed it, and I'm wrestling the sucker all over. And I could hear them screaming, Dad, Dad, don't, Dad, don't. And then I turned around and held up the end of the hose. Perspective. Perspective. See, I thought it was one thing. It was another. It's the way life is sometimes. When the bottom drops out, we have a perspective that it's all over sometimes. But in actuality, it looks like it's over. But it's not over. Troubled hearts need a true perspective. Perspective is huge. Um, C.S. Lewis, let me give you three quotes on perspective, just to get us rolling here. C.S. Lewis said this, 
He said, the future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour, whatever he does, whoever he is. The future's coming. That's perspective. We, we try to go 24-7. We run, we gun, we fax, we text, we email, we, we're going all this, we're doing, you know, we're cutting, pasting, editing, we're doing. We live crazy lives, 24-7. But what does he say? Here's, here's perspective. The future is something which everyone reaches at the rate of 60 minutes an hour, whatever he does, whoever he is. Sometimes uh, our perspective of time is, is skewered. The story is told of a guy who heard a, a knock at the door and he opened it. There's a snail there. And the snail starts to say something. Before the snail goes, what's the snail knocking on my He picks up the snail and just throws the sucker as far as he can. Slams the door. A couple years later, he hears another knock at the door. He opens the door, it's a snail. Snail says, what the heck was that about? <laughs> some of you guys need some steroids. <laughs> That's actually very funny if you think about it. <laughs> Charles Beard, you've heard this one before. He says, all the lessons of history can be summed up in four sentences. One, whom the gods would destroy, they first make mad with power. Two, the mills of God grind slowly, but they grind exceedingly small. That's perspective. Three, the bee fertilizes the flower, it robs. Four, when it is dark enough, you can finally see the stars. That's perspective. Alexander Graham Bell said this, when one door closes, another door opens. But we so often look so long and so regretfully upon the closed door that we don't see the ones which open for us. It's all a matter of perspective your perspective on the past and what's been closed, or is your perspective on what God has opened? In John 14, when Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled, the reason he says that is that if you've been with us now, you, you know the context, and let me give a quick review. Uh, their, their hearts are troubled because they feel that a door has not only been closed, it's been slammed in their face. He's just giving them, he's just giving them some very, very troubling and, and some very... Uh, Hard news, news they didn't want to hear. Uh, he, he has given them a series of uh, uh, pieces of information that, uh, that have really agitated their hearts. Uh, he, he has told them that he's going to die. He has told them that uh, he's going away. They don't want him to go away. He'd only been with them for three years. I, I, I mean, if, if, if you're ministering with Jesus and traveling with Jesus and you're seeing life change, you're seeing a man with a withered hand. You're seeing the woman with the issue of blood. You're seeing, seeing demon-possessed people being set free. Uh, you, you are seeing absolutely unbelievable things. All the books in the world couldn't contain the things that Jesus did. And now he says he's going to leave. Well, they don't want him to leave. They want it to keep going. It's just starting to roll. And in fact, he's the Messiah, and I'm sure some of you are thinking, listen, he can overturn this Roman Empire and get these people out of our land, and we can get the political system the way we want it. He's not going to do that. He's leaving. 
And they don't get that. That doesn't fit their agenda. That doesn't fit their playbook. They want him to do what he's not going to do. And they find it very troubling, and they're agitated. Uh, he says, one of you is going to betray me. He's just told Peter that uh, you're going to deny me three times. And in a matter of hours, you're going to deny me. Uh, and, and you're all going to fall away. This troubled them. It stunned them. And in the midst of this, in John 14, 1, Jesus gives them some perspective in the midst of the news that they don't want to hear. We've mentioned that this passage is often read uh, at funeral services. But this, and, and that's appropriate, because Jesus goes on and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. It's appropriate at a funeral service. But it's also extremely applicable to those who are living daily life and facing disappointing circumstances. That's us. Everybody in here has got something you don't want. Everybody in here has got something you wish you could get rid of. Everybody in here has got a piece that doesn't fit the puzzle, at least the way you want it to fit. And you look at other guys, and they're not dealing with what you're dealing with, but you're dealing with it. Why are you dealing with it and they're not dealing? Well, they're dealing with other stuff, but everybody's got something. Everybody. I don't care who you are. Nobody in here is pain-free. Everybody's afflicted. Everybody's in some way, shape, or form disappointed. Everybody's got their stuff. Everybody's got their scars. Everybody. Everybody's got their fears. Everybody. That's us. So you see, these words are very applicable to every guy in this room where Jesus says, hey, hey, Peter, John, Andrew, Jim. He's just giving bad news, but he says, hey, hey, hey. Don't let your hearts get troubled here. Don't let your hearts get all fulminant and agitated. Now he's going to start working with them on their perspective. Hey, let me ask you something. Have you ever failed? Yeah. Are you going to fail again? Yeah. So why am I going to fail again? Because you're an idiot. And so am I. We're all a bunch of idiots, right? That's just us. We fail, and we fail, and we fail. And, and you know, when we fail, oftentimes, we, we, this, it's enemy how, how, how the enemy works. He'll, we'll hear this in our conscience that you can't go to the Lord. You can't go back to him on this. How many times have you gone to him on this? Can I tell you something? That's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. You can go back to him on it. He told these guys they were going to fail. He knew there. Jesus knew it was in the hearts of men. He knew it was going to happen. He said, this is what's going to happen. And then he says, the next thing he says is, let not your heart be troubled. Why? Because you may fail. I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. You may be, you, you, you may not be faithful. I'm faithful. This is an amazing statement. He has just told them what they're going to do, and now he turns to encourage them. So he says to them, he says, believe in God, believe also in me. We spent the last few weeks on that. And what he does here, beginning with verse 2, you see, we've been saying, guys, that the Christian life is a thinking man's game. And I'm going to keep ramming that home. When I read the Bible, on every page of the Bible that I read, 
I keep seeing the same thing over and over again. I see the sovereignty of God on every page of the Bible, that God's in absolute control. I see the providence of God, that God is in control of every detail of everything in the entire world, good and bad, and will eventually turn the, turn the bad into good. I see that in Scripture. I also see that we are constantly invited to use our minds and to think about what we believe. Um, I keep hammering this so much, and I really hammered it last week, so I got to just blast it once and move on. So much of Christianity is feminized. And when I say that, it can be very, very feeling-oriented. Our feelings are important. God made us with feelings and emotions. We've all had the crud kicked out of us, and we get hurt, and we bleed, and we've got scars, and, and, and we cry. Jesus wept. We've wept. But our feelings cannot be central. We don't live our lives off, off how we feel. We live our lives off what is true. And when Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, he says, believe in God. When he says, believe in God, what he means is, think about what's true about the living God. He's either your father, he's either good, he's either uh, the creator who gave you life. And by the way, where did he get his life? He's always had life. He is the creator, but no one created him. How can that be? He's God, either true or not true. But see, you've got to use your mind to get into that. And you'll never exhaust it, and you'll never get it, but you've got to think about it. But if that's true, that has ramifications. He's a holy God. He is a loving God. He is a just God. He is a powerful God. Uh, no one can thwart his purposes. That's your Father. So, so Jesus invites us to believe, and when he says believe in God, he wants us to think about God. Then he says, I want you to believe in me. And we looked at last week, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He is the Son. He, he is God incarnate. He, 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 is, he is God in the flesh. That's who Jesus is. So he wants us to think about God the Father. He wants us to think about who he is. He made claims. And the claims, you, you just can't take the ground, as C.S. Lewis said, that a lot of people take. Well, I just believe Jesus was a good moral teacher. Oh, I don't believe he was God. He was a good moral teacher. Well, good moral teachers don't lie, do they? Do they? No. Good politicians can lie. You can't say he's a good moral teacher. Jesus said in John 14, 6, a few verses down, he said this. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He said, I am the only way, I am the only access, I am the only road to God the Father and forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Well, let me ask you something. Is that true or, or, is, it, or is it not? Well, he wasn't the son of God. Well, if he's not the son of God, then it's not true. Then he's lying, therefore he can't be a good moral teacher. He's a liar, isn't he? Don't give me that good moral teacher dung. As Lewis said, you don't have that option. He's either a liar, or, or he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he's nuts. He's a lunatic. But you see, they knew him, 
He didn't have the character of a lunatic. He didn't have the characteristics of a lunatic. He was lucid. He was clear. He had power to heal and transform and forgive sins, and people's lives were never the same again. He had the character of God, so they believed him. But they had to use their minds. Christianity, said, I don't know how many times in here, Christianity is a thinking man's game. Christianity is a thinking man's battle. You read this book, it's either true or it isn't. And go, go read all the higher criticism and you know, you say, oh, you can't trust the Old Testament, you can't trust this. Go check it out. Go check it out. Go check it out. Go see how many actual documents we have of the New Testament. And then compare it to things that they would never dispute that are taught in universities as absolutely factual. It's thousands and thousands and thousands times ahead when it comes to manuscripts. You say, oh, there's German higher criticism. Yeah, go read the guys and read the guys that refuted them. It's either true or it's not true. Don't, don't put a bag over your head and say, oh, I'm just going to believe. Why would you do that? If it's not true, why would you believe? Quit screwing around with it. Go play golf on Sunday. Why the crud would you come here on Wednesday night if it's not true? Well, I'm trying to earn points. Why do you want points? You know, get, go get a few brewskis and some brats. I mean, you don't need points. If it's not true, there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell, there's no eternal life. Right? But if it's true, maybe I ought to give it a little attention. Now watch what Jesus does here. He's going to, so you've got two perspectives going on here in uh, John 14. You get into verse 2, and here's what he does. See, there are two perspectives. Number one is the present perspective. The, the, the present perspective is what I just covered. The present perspective is, what are they deal, dealing with in their present? He says, well, you know all the stuff, all the disappointment. He says, this is your present situation. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be agitated. Let's get your hearts calmed. Let's get some peace in your heart. Well, I'm going to do that. Think about God. Think about who I am. If God is all of these things in absolute control, he's a powerful God, he's a good God, if Jesus has come to redeem us from our sin and forgive us and, and to enable us to have peace with God so that God's not angry and we don't have to walk around in fear of God, that he's going to terrorize us or he's always looking to stomp on us. I had a guy ask me earlier today, he said, when you pray, do you, do you, how do you pray? Do you pray to the Father or can you pray to Jesus or how do you, I mean, who do you pray to? And I said, well, let me tell you something. You better get it right. You better get this one right, because if you pray and you get it wrong, I mean, he'll, he'll squish you, man. Guy wasn't sure for a minute. I said, hey, the Pharisees had their formula. They had the ritual down. You ever been in a church where it's all ritual? but there's no heart. It's just ritual. They got the robes, and they got the candles, and they got the whatever they got. Some churches, their ritual is they sing the hymns. Uh, some churches I've been to, they sing, and they don't use instruments. That's a ritual. That's a tradition. You know, they, well, we've got our, and they do it just by the book, just by the book. You know what God looks at? God looks at the Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father. Well, what happens if I just make him say, oh, Jesus, oh, oh, I should have prayed to the Father. Hey, chill, man, will you? Just chill. How do you get to the Father? Through Jesus. 
God's not up there going, oh, he got that wrong again. Gosh, how many times do I have to tell him? He got the procedure wrong. God is not a federal bureaucrat. God is not an auditor. You don't always have to give him a receipt. He knows your heart. Don't you know your, the, kids are your, the hearts of your kids and your grandkids? They ever mess up? Yeah. But you know their hearts? Yeah. You're good. Right? Everything's good. It's all right. That's your father. That's your father. So present perspective, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Watch him shift gears. And here's the second one. Now he's going to give them a permanent perspective. The first perspective is believe in, believe in God. Believe also in me. That'll calm your troubled heart. Verse 2 he gives them a permanent perspective, which basically is this. He shifts gears from believe in God, believe also in me. He says this. In my, and then he shifts. He just shifts gears. It's almost like, where's the, uh, where's the transition here? Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Where'd that come from? You see any transition there? You see any segue? No, it's just abrupt. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be agitated. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. And where I am, there you may be also. What he's doing here, he's giving them a permanent perspective outside of their present circumstances. In other words, you know what he's saying to them here? He said, yeah, I know you're disappointed, and I know you're disturbed by what I've just told you, but I, I, I don't want your hearts to be troubled because not only do I want you to believe in God and believe in me, but I want you to think long-term, and I want you to think about eternity. This is going somewhere. A lot of times when, when pain and hurt and disappointment and bad news comes into our life, we get all this, we just get crushed and we get killed. You get laid off or you find out you got cancer, you find out, you know, uh, uh, gosh, I don't know, you, you, friends betrayed you, all kinds of stuff can happen. And, and we're just people, we're, we're just dust, we're just, we're just us. We can get the crud kicked out of us. Can't we? It's tough stuff. It's like you get kicked in the gut. Not so long ago, I had a guy call me. We're friends. We don't see each other often, but he called me and told me he had some stuff going on, asked me to just be aware and pray for him. I said I would. A few days later, he called me. and He said, are you at home? And I said, yeah. He says, could I come over? I said, yeah. This guy's pretty sharp. Done well, successful, respected guy. Gets out of his car, I walked out. He walked right up to me and grabbed me and started sobbing. And he was ashamed. He said, Steve, I'm sorry. I said, no, you'd be sorry. I've been there. You just got the crap kicked out of you, man. Happens to all of us. And it does, doesn't it? Not every day, but it happens. And sometimes that pain and, and the hurt and the disappointment 
it, it's, um, and the threat to our existence and the threat to our well-being and our plans, what happens is it, it dominates us and it terrorizes us and, and it's, it's just right here in our lives and that's all we can see. See, that's our perspective. This is my present perspective. I'm an absolute turmoil. My life will never be the same. It'll never be repaired. So the Lord says, when you get knocked down like that, the challenge, you, you got to get back up and get perspective by thinking, believe in God, believe also in me. Then there's a point you got to step back from that. Hey, this is a process. You don't just all, hey, you know, you just don't lick this stuff when it comes. It's a battle. It's a fight, right? When, next time you get waylaid, you're going to, oh, believe in God, believe in Jesus. Okay, I'm not, no sweat. This is no problem. I've got cancer. I might die in three days, but it's no big deal. Well, you're probably going to have to work this through a little bit, right? you got a process. you got emotions. you got all this stuff. We're, hey, we're people. So you don't just lick this stuff. Sometimes it licks you for a little bit before you can get your perspective. But when you're right here, at a certain point, as you get your feet under, what you got to do is take a step back from it, and you gotta look at, you got to look at this thing with a wide-angle lens. When we get knocked down and get the crud kicked out of us, we got the telephoto on, right? We got a telephoto, and we're two feet away from it. So our perspective is off. It's like seeing a snake in the backyard, but it's not a snake. It, it appears to be a snake, and it's very threatening. Jesus, what he's saying here, suddenly he shifts it all and says, wait a minute, wide angle this sucker. He told him, I'm going, he said, I'm going away. Yeah, I'm going away. Then he says this, in my father's house are many mansions. Many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. See, it's either true or it's not true. Can they trust his character? Yeah, he's proven that. They'll, they trust what he said. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. No, he never lies. He tells the truth. Okay. But see, it is true. All right, watch this. Watch, watch what he's doing here, guys. Why does he suddenly shift and start talking about heaven? Why does he suddenly shift and start talking about eternity? Here's why. Once again, you've got to think. But watch what he's doing. Here's what he's saying to them. You're troubled right now. You're troubled in this present. You don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know how it's going to develop. You don't know how it's going to resolve itself. But in my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. For you. If it weren't so, I would have told you. If I go and prepare a place for you, verse uh, 3, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I want you to note what he's saying to him. He is saying that their future, their long-term future, is already settled. He is saying that he is going ahead and preparing a place for them where they will come and join him forever. That's what he's saying. Now watch this. Watch this. Therefore, if that is true, if he's going to prepare a place for them, if he's going to prepare uh, dwelling places for them, that they will, and forget the, the hanging around on a cloud with a harp crap. That's not it. God wouldn't do that. That's just nonsense. He's going to prepare a place. It's eternity. It's, it's beyond imagination. 
mentioned Randy Alcorn's book on heaven. I'm rereading it. Phenomenal. If you think heaven's boring, read this book. Incredible stuff from the Word of God. Follow the thinking. You're troubled. This is all right now. You're right here. Look it. I'm going to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also. Now watch this. So if I'm going to do that for your long-term future, and I'm going to do that permanently, and I'm going to do that for you forever and ever and ever and ever, you're troubled? You don't need to be troubled. Because if I'm going to do that in your future, can you not count on me to get you through the trouble and sustain you daily until you get to that point where I come and receive you unto myself? If he's going to be faithful there, why the heck wouldn't he be faithful in every step to get you there? You see that? That's what he does. It's logical. He's got to get you there, doesn't he? So, oh, when I die, he's going to be faithful. He's going to be faithful until you die. Right? So then don't let your hearts be troubled. Are you in a jam? You got this coming out? You got this crisis? You got, all right. He's going to be faithful. How's it going to work out? I don't know. But he'll be faithful. Oh, John Newton knew this. Everybody knows amazing grace. We know the first verse pretty well. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Christ comes into our life, regenerates us, gives us eternal life, forgives us of our sin, and by the way, guys, I want to say it again. I think I said it last week. You can't be a Christian by just believing in God. You have to believe in Christ. Jesus is Christianity. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Redeemer. You trust in Christ alone for your salvation. He is the Savior. Oh, I believe in God the Father and the brotherhood of man. Well, then you're screwed. This is why this is a men's Bible study. <laughs> right? If you're into that, God, the Father, Brotherhood, that's not going to work, and that's not going to help you, and that's not going to save you. Jesus saves. You guys remember the old-fashioned revival hour with Dr. Fuller? You remember that? From Pasadena? Rudy Atwood on the piano. This is going way back. 1712, I think it was. On the way to church every Sunday morning, my dad had the old-fashioned revival on, on the way to church. And Rudy Atwood would hit that piano, and they'd start singing. We have heard the joyful sound, Jesus saves, Jesus saves, said the time is all around, Jesus saves, I know most of it. 1712, you know. But you know what I remember? Jesus saves. Jesus saves. So, John Newton knew that. I once was blind, now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, fear God, and taught my, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Watch this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come haven't you 
Look back at what you've come through. Look back when your heart was troubled. Look back when there was no hope. And what did he? You've already come through it. What? He made a way for you. You remember being worried that he wouldn't? Yeah. Well, he did, didn't he? Watch this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. Watch this. And grace will lead me, what? Home. In my Father's house, or many mansions. How do you know grace is going to lead you home? Because he's preparing a place, and he's going to get you there. That's how you know. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm going to make a way. I know what you're up against. I know who your enemies are. I know what the economy is. I know they're not hiring, but you know what? You need me. You need me. I know you don't have a good old boy network. I know you need me. I love this stuff. Don't you? You know why I love it? Because it's true. This guy I was talking with, he had a situation that was just really, really discouraging. He had a, uh, he, he had started a, a, a ministry and given his life to it. And folks he'd poured his life into were, were turning on him. And as we were talking, it struck me that 20-some years ago, that very week I was talking to him, that's what happened to me. It just dawned on me as we were talking. I thought, huh. And I looked at my, looked at the, my calendar on my watch. That was this week. How many years ago? Through many dangers, toil, and snares. I have already come. Okay, guys. I got six questions for you to ask, to get perspective. You guys still with me? Are you? Okay, good. Here's why I, I want to give you six questions. I want to say this to you. Troubled hearts, troubled hearts, agitated hearts. And don't you hate having a troubled heart? Isn't it a drag? Just to be all screwed up inside. Don't you love that peace which passes all understanding? Don't you love that? And you know, you hit it from different angles in the scripture. You got the Philippians 4 angle, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, you know, with thanksgiving. We talked about that the other night. And, and I agree that really one of the critical things there in that passage is the thanksgiving. Do you know you can pull yourself out of a depression by just starting where you are that day. Maybe you're fighting off depression or worry or whatever. You just, I, this happened to me last May. I think I shared it. I, I, just, I woke up and got hammered. I woke up and I was hammered from about three different angles. And I mean, I was fomenting. I was churning. And, and so I start working through scriptures. And I got to Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, and, so, and I'm praying, supplication, with thanksgiving. And I was in bed, I got out of bed, I got some coffee, got my Bible, sat in my red chair, didn't open my Bible because I knew the verse, and I just decided, here's what I'm going to do. 
I'm going to do this Thanksgiving thing. So I started with the day before. And I started listing what I was thankful for the day before. And then I went the day before that. And the day before that. And I went all the way back. Josh is 25. I went all the way back to when he was four. Because I remember when he almost drowned in the pool. And we were at my brother's house in Coppell. And all these kids, you know, running around screaming, yelling. And I'm walking down the hallway to get changed because we're going to go see the movie Top Gun. And I'm walking down that hallway, and all of a sudden I thought, where's Josh? Why didn't I think, where's Rachel? Or where is uh, my niece Becky or Laura? I thought, just boom, where's Josh? I looked out that back window, and I saw Josh in the bottom of the swimming pool. And man, I mean, I was out that door and in that pool. And I was out the door, I yelled for my brother, Mike. I didn't know where he was in the house, but I wanted to make sure he heard me. And I mean, I went, Mike! This guy just joined us again. He just woke up. <laughs> and I hit that pool running, and I reached down and grabbed that kid and pulled him up. And Mike was right there. And that little four-year-old kid spit water and cried. And then I spit water and cried. We went to that movie. I don't have a clue what Top Gun's about. The next two days, all I could think about was Josh in that pool. But that morning, it took me two and a half, three, three and a half hours. I was just thankful I went back over my whole life. And then can I tell you something? Suddenly the fear lifted. And nothing had changed in my life. Nothing had changed. I'm still facing the same thing. But you know what happened to me? It's just what it says. Be anxious for nothing, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the, what? The peace. And that's what happened to me. The peace of God shall guard your hearts and minds. Shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Six questions. In an attempt to gain true perspective when you have a troubled heart, Number one, ask, ask yourself, and, and you gotta do, and you gotta think a little bit, and you gotta dig a little bit here. I don't have some little pithy uh, motivational thing. It always bugs me when guys ask me, are you a motivational speaker? I said, no. No, I preach the gospel. I talk about Jesus. That always bugs me. I mean, they don't know, they don't mean anything by it, but this guy delivered some books at my place the other day, and he says, is that your book? And I go, yeah. He goes, you're a motivational speaker? I said, no. No. I just talk to men about Christ. He goes, oh, really? I said, yeah, about not leaving their wives and not walking away from their kids and following Jesus. He goes, really? Said, yeah, that's what I do. Can't seem to hold a real job, so I do that. <laughs> All right. 
so I don't have any pithy little motivational, you know, things you can put on the refrigerator with a magnet. You're going to have to work a little bit on this stuff. But I'm saying when you're really fighting this stuff, you've got to fight. Here's the first question. Ask yourself this. Where the heck did I come from? Where did I come from? And get, 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 over, get over in Job. You know why you want to get in Job? Because he had a troubled heart. Because, because of what had happened to him. You talk about an ad, how come I can't get into Job? Where the heck is Psalms? There it is. Um, he had a troubled heart. He's trying to sort out what was going on with him. So if you've got a troubled heart, it's, it's probably good to check in with some guys that have dealt with this. And in Job 14, verse 1, Job says this, man who was born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil, or is short-lived and full of trouble. You can say, well, that's right. That's exactly right. My, my life is fleeting, and it's full of trouble, and it is. And then he says down in verse 5, you're asking a question, where did I come from? Well, watch this. Since his days are determined, the number of his months is with you, and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. You, you didn't invent yourself. You didn't give life to yourself. God gave you life. You were born of woman. You were born to trouble. He has determined your days. The number of your months is with him. The number of your weeks, the number of your years. He knows exactly how much time you have left. His limits you have set so that he cannot pass. You were created. That's where you came from. Here's the second thing to think about. And see right there, if you know the creator... See, if you know there's a creator, then you know that you're not in charge. I read some of that stuff from David Wells last week, that when um, uh, uh, Darwin wrote Origin of the Species, you know, Origin of the Species. How the heck do you know the origin of the species? Were you there? You got a theory. You got a theory, and basically you're saying, there is no God. Well, if there's no God, there's not a sovereign God. If there's no God, there's no providence, there's no care, there's no sustainment, there's no provision. And people shifted their worldview from the providence of God and the provision of God to luck. To luck. If there's no God, good luck. And that's all you got, man. <sighs> Ask this question. First of all, where did I come from? Ask this. There's number two. Where am I now? Go to Job 23. Well, where are you now? Well, obviously you're troubled. Why are you going over this stuff? You're troubled. Job 23, verse 3. Job is so troubled, he says this, and sometimes you'll be there. Oh, that I knew where I might find him, that I might come to his seat. I would present my case before him and fill my mouth with arguments. Sometimes you wish you could just get before God and just say, look, it's this, 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 and this. Do something. Right? Look at verse 8. Look at the frustration. Behold, I go forward, but he's not there. And backward, I cannot perceive him. When he acts on the left, I cannot behold him. He turns on the right, I cannot see him. Have you ever been there? You can't seem to grasp God. You can't get a connection. Verse 10. But he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as Where am I now? I'm in trouble. Why am I in trouble? He's got me in the furnace because he is refining me because he wants to do something in my life. 
That's why. Ask this question, number three. Where am I going? Well, let me just kind of cut to the chase. Where are you going? You're going to die. You're going to die. Uh, you know, we, we have all this technology and all this medical stuff. Um, it's amazing. All this research, all this money being spent, I mean, great. I mean, let's go after it. I saw American, I was at the airport Friday, and I saw American Airlines 737 painted with the pink ribbon. You know? I mean, they're getting the word out. God bless them. You know, we're going to eradicate breast cancer. You know, we're going to beat MS. We're going to beat polio. We're going to beat all this. We're going to be, you know what? If they beat it all, you're still going to die. You're still going to die, aren't you? Yeah. They can clean it all up, and you're going to die. Randy Alcorn says this in his book, ancient merchants often wrote the words, memento, memento mori. Think of death in large letters on the first page of their accounting books. Philip the Macedon, father of Alexander the Great, commissioned a servant to stand in his presence each day and say, Philip, you will die. In contrast, Francis Louis XIV decreed that the word death was not to be uttered in his presence. Most of us are more like Louis than Philip, denying death and avoiding the thought of it except when it's forced upon us. We live under the fear of death. And you know what? You're going to die. Um, Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15. Speaking of Jesus, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself likewise also took of the same, of flesh and blood. Jesus was God, came to earth, born of a virgin. That, now watch this, watch this. Why did he partake of flesh and blood? That through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. He's freed us from the fear of death. He's freed. Um, you don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of the unknown. You don't have to be. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm going to tell you guys, I think there's, there's a lot to be said about how it is that you die. You want to die well. You want to go out showing your kids and your grandkids what you really believe in your heart of hearts as you're facing this great unknown. But it's not unknown, it's known. And you don't have to be mastered and tormented by fear. You take that last breath and the angels usher you into the presence of Christ. Either true or not true. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, He who believes in me, even though he die, yet shall he, what? Live. Here's number four. 
Let's shift it a little bit. Where did he come from? Where did Christ come from? John 1.1, 1, 1. in the beginning was the Word. It doesn't say in the beginning the Word was created. The Word is referring to Jesus. It doesn't say in the beginning he was created. It says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, he existed. He had no beginning. All things were created by him, for him, through him. He's the creator. He is. He's the great I am. He is self-existent. He is independent. He is the source of life. He gives life. He had no beginning because he is life. You say, how can that be? It's what it says. See, when you start thinking, all right, you know, well, where did he come from? He's always, that's just staggering. Think about it. Think about who he is. And you know what that does when you think about who he is and how great he is? How can that be? He's God. You know what that does? It gets your eyes off right here. Get your eyes on him. You see his power. You see his glory. You see his, okay, number five. Where is he now? Where is he now? This is important. So Jesus is saying to these guys in John 14, hey, I'm going to go away. This is all going to happen in a few hours. He's going to, you know, Judas is going to betray him. You know the story. The, the false trial, the whole thing. They're going to beat him, pulverize him, put him on the cross. In the grave, three days. Go to Acts chapter 1. Then he comes out of the tomb. Look at Acts 1, verse 3. This is the whole reason Acts was written. Um, he's, a, a pose, he, he's writing an account to Theophilus. He says this. Speaking of the apostles whom he had chosen, he says to these, he, meaning Jesus, also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. How come none of these apostles recanted? How come they, when they were put up on trial and tortured and all that, that hey, hey, guys, hey, 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 just kidding. They didn't recant, they died. Why? They saw him. Over 500 saw him at one time. They knew it was true. They saw the living Christ. It's not a myth. It's not a figment. It's not, you know, it's not mysticism. He is God. He is alive. To these he presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs. You've got to think. Not by sleight of hand, not by cononym, by convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Jump down to 7. Uh, he said, because they asked, when are you going to restore the kingdom? He says, not for you to know the times or the epics which his father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 9, after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on. A cloud received him out of, of their sight. He went straight up. It's either true or it isn't. Did that happen? They thought it did. They saw it. It was convincing. And then what do they see? He goes straight up into the sky and as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood before them, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He went up, and he's coming back. So he went up? Yeah. Where is he now? He's there, the right hand of the Father. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. You got a new Bible? You're breaking it in tonight. Where is he? And this is, this, this is guys, this, 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 is, this is just superb. Watch this. Hebrews 4.14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, 
that ties right in with, with Acts 1. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. You ever get upset? You ever get troubled because you're screwed up? You said you never take another drink and you did. You said you never lie to your wife and you did. You said you never look at pornography again and you did. We're screwed up, guys. We're just beset with weaknesses. I watch this. We, have a, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. We sin, he never sinned. Watch this. Therefore, he's at the right hand of the Father. Watch this. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence. Confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That can be translated, let us come boldly so that we might find a well-timed help. That's what you need. You, need a, you, know, you just don't need help. You need a well-timed help in time of need. And here's, here's question six. Here's question six. Question six is, this is all true, and then here's the big question. Will he help me? just said he would. But then you want to go to Psalm 55. See, you've got to put the Word of God in your heart. You've got to put the Word of God in your mind. That's how you fight off this stuff. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's Romans 12, but go to Psalm 55. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Look at Psalm 55, verse 22. Are you burdened? Are you troubled? Are you screwed up in your heart? Are you unsettled? Are, 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 you, are you just anguished? Watch this. Cast your burden upon the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. So what do I do? Who's this great God you've gone through? You know who he is. You know where he came from. He's always existed. Cast your burden on him. Literally, if you've got a New American Standard in the margin... It says, cast what he has given you. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, but see, he gives, us, he gives us trouble sometimes. Why does he give us trouble? To mature us and to build us into strong men. If you've never suffered, if you've never had anguish, if you've never had trouble, you'll never get strong. If you're some spoiled, rotten, North Dallas individual that's been pampered and manicured and hair dyed and Botoxed and nipped and all that stuff, whatever the heck you do, you're a wuss. And you got no character and you got no guts. You've never hurt, you've never been pained, you've never failed, you've never been ashamed, you've never had to fight, you've never... See, that's what makes a man. You fight, you fail, you screw up, your weakness, you call out to him, he helps you. When I am weak, then I am strong. Not that pampered life. Okay. And then, oh, and then you go, Psalm 56.3, you guys with me or you got to go somewhere? <laughs> Hold on, I'm almost done. 56.3, this is how you beat this stuff. I mean, this is war. You get in here. It's the sovereignty of God. It's the greatness of God. What do you do when a spouse dies? 
Your whole life is turned upside down. Maybe you had a wonderful spouse, wonderful wife, wonderful, you went through life, it was just a blessing, just a gift from God, and they're suddenly taken, and then your whole life is in turmoil. Are you going to get over that overnight, jump in a Christian microwave and hit peace three minutes and come out? And... No. You're going to go through all kinds of stuff. What a great book Dr. Mabry did. He just handed it to me last week. When you lose a spouse. I sent it off to my mom. She called me and she said, this is an incredible book. Said, yeah. Where's Dr. Mabry? Is he here tonight? Right here, Dr. Richard Mabry. If you've lost a spouse, you need to talk with him and find out about his book. Hand me the book, I read it, I sent it to my mom because my dad died 12 months ago. She called me in a couple days, she said, this is unbelievable. He knows exactly what I'm going through. He goes down and buys three copies, sends them off this week to friends, right there. Dr. Mabry had never suffered. Those other folks would never be comforted, but the comfort that he's received, he's passing on. Where am I? Frisco, Texas, aren't I? Is this Frisco? 56.3. Watch this. We're almost done. Oh, so then, you know, the other night after reading Dr. Mabry's book, Mary and I are sitting watching this old movie. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know how blessed I am? You know how blessed I am I get to sit here and watch this old movie with somebody I really like? I don't know how long we'll have that. I mean, hopefully a long time, but I don't know. Do you? I'm really blessed. I'm really grateful. 56.3. When I am afraid, that's when you're troubled. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. Look at verse 9. This I know, that God is for me. Do you know he's for you? Yeah, but Steve, I'm always messing up. Yeah, but he's the high priest. Remember, you can come to him boldly. He's a merciful God. And then you get to Psalm 57. When, you're, when your life is just all in shambles, I will cry to God most high to God who accomplishes all things for me. Verse 2, he will sin from heaven and save me. You, you know what the old Puritans would say? I will cry to God most high, to God who is the transactor of all my affairs. He will sin from heaven and save me. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He's going to get you there, and he's going to be faithful in the interim daily to get you there and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever we are blessed men we thank you father for the truth of the word of God we thank you for our Bibles it's your word it changes our perspective it, it drives away fear it comforts us it gives us a hope and, and one day those that we loved and are no longer with us who are in your presence we will join them we will join them you're going to come and you're going to rule and you're going to reign and you're going to set it straight and all this nonsense and sin will be over and done with and you will rule forever 
and by your grace will be with you. That is staggering. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.